Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Event Industry News Podcast. My name is James Dixon, wishing you a very good morning, afternoon or evening, whenever or wherever you are tuning into our podcast from today. Um, the podcast is brought to you by our sponsor, Engage, powered by D2I Systems, winner of Best Event Management Platform at the 2017 Event Technology Awards. To learn how Engage can make your business more profitable, visit d2isystems.com forward slash engage and welcome to today's episode and welcome to a first-time guest on the podcast um abigail dakin abby thanks very much for joining us today thanks very much for having me um, Abby is the events director EMEA for Time Out, um, a brand that I'm absolutely certain that the majority of our podcast followers will be aware of. No doubt people will have come across Time Out um, either in print format or digital format at some point in their lives. And broadly speaking, I'm hoping that most people will be aware of it. Um, Abigail's on the podcast today to talk about the event side of things um, in respect to Time Out. But um, Abby, before we go down that route, um, perhaps for those people who may be um, vaguely familiar with the brand, um, put into context what Time Out is, a bit of a potted history and, and the markets that it serves. Sure. So we're, uh, we're a very global brand. We're in 108 cities across 39 countries. But people will know us most for um, the way that we inspire people and enable them to make the most of their own cities. Uh, London is where we started uh, 50 years ago this year, so we've been around a while, uh, but basically at the core of everything we do is about curating the best of the city, um, inspiring people to go out, make the most of, of their neighborhoods, their whole city. It's really about inspiration and about pinpointing what people want to do this weekend, this Friday, but also kind of right now. We're really, really current. Everything we talk about is the things that we're most excited about now. Uh, it's really just about inspiring people to make the most of what's out there especially in a city like London, you know, where we're kind of leading the way in, uh, in events and across everything that we're doing. So, uh, yeah, it's about inspiring people. And as an events director, um, I, I suppose that the, the first question we should ask is, is why does, does Time Out itself organise their own events? Because uh, as an organisation, as you point out, most people will know them um, in the broadest sense for, for things like travel guides, if they're going to a destination somewhere, if they're travelling to a city or they live in London or they're visiting London, they will look to Time Out to find out what's on, where can they go, where would be a good place to eat, what's a good show to see, anything of that sort of nature. So what, what is the purpose of Time Out themselves organising their own events? So it's really that next step from curation into creation. Uh, so we obviously have, we know the best of what's going on across the city. We've got an amazingly informed uh, editorial team who always know everything before anyone else does. So it's really bringing that to life. Uh, people are coming to us to be inspired. We have an amazing, um, an amazing stat that 95% of people who come to us do something because they've been inspired by our content. So it right. makes sense as well as writing about it to actually be creating those things as well and bringing together the mixture of really great relationships we have with people across the city, whether it's venues, creatives, producers, and actually kind of bringing that all together into a live experience, but with that editorial content at the heart of it. So, so how would a, I, I don't suppose that there is anything like a typical event, but how would a timeout event manifest itself? So it usually starts, well, I'll give it 
But I'll give an example of something we're doing at the moment, which is our Moving on the River series. Uh, so we started it last year and have brought it back. It was massively successful last year. We brought it back for a full summer season this year. And that is the first floating cinema on the Thames. And that started with sitting down with our global head of film and just thinking of if we could do anything, what would we do? Um, we're in a very fortunate position that we can be really, really creative. Uh, we've got all of kind of you know, creativity is at the heart of what we do anyway. Uh, so we really just sat down and went, if we could do anything, what would we do? And we decided it was putting an inflatable cinema screen on the top of a boat. <laughs> As you do. As you do. Uh, and that's when, so it's, we come up with, a, with an idea of something that we would love to do. And then it, it's my job to go away and work out how we can make that happen in practice. Um, as you can imagine, the nuts and bolts of actually getting that off the ground are fairly challenging. Uh, but that's where we, you know, we work with people internally who have really excellent contacts um, to just make things make things happen. I mean, we can we can reach out to people right across the city. Always make sure we're working with people who are kind of right at the forefront of what they're doing. Um, but yeah, at the heart of everything we do is a really great idea, mm. and then getting the nuts and bolts to to make it a reality. Uh, and I guess um, in a in a in a semi sort of ruthless sense, if you have the reach available to you, that very much equals opportunity that's available to you as well. And and I guess that if you've got so many people and such a vast audience of people coming to you to find out what is going on, that naturally then if you've got your own things going on, you've got the perfect platform to promote those. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, we, we look at always trying to do something new and different. So taking what we know people are excited about doing and putting it maybe in a venue that they didn't usually get to do it in. Um, we quite like that. We quite like finding something we know that people love and putting it in an unusual space. Mm. Um, yeah, our, our audience is, is massive. It's very extensive. And it's a group of people who are really experience hungry. That's what they're coming to time up for. They're looking for something to do, uh, which puts us in a you know, fantastic position in the events in the events world to be able to talk directly to the people who we want to. Um, I, I would guess, and again, this is, this is all presumption, so correct me at any point, that from an audience demographic point of view, you are likely to have actually quite a broad spectrum of, of users and people who visit you. So I guess what that also does is give you a number of different options when it comes to planning events that, that may cater or be tailored towards certain areas of your demographic. Is, when you are looking at creating new content, is that very, very much something that drives what you're looking to create? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we have, obviously, we're, we're London-based, but we have a lot of our audience, and certainly our events audience as well, who come into London specifically to go to our events. So we're very aware that um, that people are going to be coming specifically to something we're putting on as well, as well as catering to a sort of a hyper-local audience. Mm. Uh, I mean, certainly sometimes it's going to, the writing is going to be finding a really beloved new up-and-coming tiny bar somewhere and sometimes it's going to be working at a really big name institution uh, like the Natural History Museum or the National Gallery. Um, we've worked a lot with the view from the Shards as well, really kind of iconic spaces where, yeah. where you get that nice mix actually of people coming into London because they want to see it but also Londoners who maybe haven't been there for a while. You know, you might have gone like the Natural History Museum, you might have gone when you were a kid but actually haven't been back for kind of 10-20 years. So yeah. It's an excuse to go go again, really. Um, on the on the subject of venues, um, again, looking at the the reach that you've got and the opportunity that that subsequently creates, um, is there a scenario where you actually approached by venues who who recognise 
the potential reach that you guys have got and, and people actually proactively coming to you and saying, look, do you want to do something with us? We'd love to have you work with us. Yeah, very much so. I mean, a lot of our, our events sort of end up coming from initial just conversations we're having with people. Uh, and we have very kind of close conversations with the cultural institutions, for instance, who we work very closely with on the editorial side. Um, and, and we're always in dialogue with those people. I mean, one of the things we try and to in time up generally is to have really proactive conversations with the city. Uh, and that's venues, that's creatives, that's event producers, it's bars, it's restaurants, but it's making sure that people are really aware that we're excited about what they're doing, but we also, you know, there are opportunities for us to bring something new and different to them as well. Uh, so it's really finding the right moment uh, in those conversations. When did um, running their own events under their own brand become part of the, the, the Time Out um, portfolio, if you can call it that? And, and how has it grown from what you now reflect on as being the sort of the early days of the events part of the, the business? So I joined in the deep dark ages of 2014, so not, <laughs> not, actually, not actually that long ago. So we've been working on events since then. I mean, We've also been globally running events for, for a similar kind of time period as well. It's been something that's been really successful in other markets as well. Uh, but it's really taken off, I would say, uh, over that time, we've seen a real, real increase, especially actually as, as we start collaborating with more people and working closely with brands on a lot of things, working with the bigger name institutions as well. So we started off kind of on a small scale, maybe smaller gigs. Um, lower capacity things. Actually, we work much more now with the bigger name institutions, and that's kind of developed over time, really. Mm -hmm. You know, it's it's uh, especially when you're working on maybe more complicated venues, yeah, institutions. But also, you know, if you're doing stuff on the river, things are they're complicated. They're logistically really challenging, and it takes time to get to a stage where everyone is comfortable. You're doing something a little bit different. Um, so we're definitely always kind of playing the long game in that sense. Are, are you still able to um, entertain the prospect of delivering, you know, smaller, you know, single day events that might just take a single day's production, you know, deliver it in an evening and then come out? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we, we sort of do, we have such a wide, um, wide remit. Um, we are delivering things, whether it's kind of 160 people at a screening, um, a preview screening, say, right up to kind of 2,000 people over a weekend and everything in between, really. I think at the core, it's making sure that what we're doing really, really suits the audience for that that specific thing. Uh, so we're not just kind of blanketing everyone. We're making sure that we're, we're targeting segments of our audience because we speak to so many people. I think sometimes there's, there's a risk in events generally that you try and do something that pleases absolutely everybody, mm. uh, whereas actually being quite focused in what you're delivering, even if that's on a smaller scale, I think is really important so that your audience feels really engaged with what you're doing. Yeah, but um, prior to, to Time Out, you mentioned that, that you came on board in 2014, which is now four years ago. Um, prior to that, what was your professional background in the events industry? So I'm very lucky because I grew up running around events. Um, my mum is an events organiser and runs large scale outdoor events, uh, largely in Ludlow Castle in Shropshire. Okay, yep. I, I did a lot of running around Ludlow Castle when I was little um, and just, just sort of started working alongside it and was lucky enough to realise I also just really, really loved it. Mm. Um, and it is a job. I think finding something that you love that you can get paid to do is, is the dream, really. Um, so I did a little bit of um, sort of freelance work in events. I have a bit of a background in some community development work as well, mm -hmm. which is, I guess, where my approach to 
So then that as community builders really comes from, especially in sort of you know smaller communities. And from there went on to set up some of my own events. I um, set up the Cosford Food Festival at the RAF Museum in Cosford. That would have been in 2012, I believe. Um, right. Sort of freelance bits and pieces. Uh, came to London, did some work with Youth Dance England, but it's always, always been in the events area, really. Sure, yeah. Yeah, just got chatting to the right person at the right time, really. Uh, and I guess, given the nature of, of, of some of the events and some of the type of events that you, 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 you've touched on um, so far, there there needs to be an element of, of flexibility and having a, a pretty diverse skill set, isn't there, when you're in a role that you're in? I, I guess you must have responsibility for a number of different aspects that maybe in larger event-dedicated companies would have maybe two or three or four people dealing with. Yeah, I mean, I think it's really important to be, obviously there's an importance to have a strategic overview of everything you're doing, you've got to have a long-term plan, you've got to make sure you're fitting within the wider company company goals, that you're really streamlining everything. I'm a big believer that you still have to be really hands-on. Um, I make sure I'm at all of the events that we do, uh, even on the smaller scale of things. I think just actually being there on the ground, that's how you get the feel of, Sort of two sides how your audience is responding to something but also actually how the partners you're working with are responding to something you know things things do sometimes go wrong in events they can be challenging they can be really hard and that's where the working relationships that you build up are absolutely vital yeah you only do that by really putting a lot of time and care into developing those those professional like really trusting relationships because that's kind of the foundation of, of anything really it's, it's, it's interesting you say that because my, my, my next sort of line line of uh, conversation was going to be related to um, relationships and professional relationships with, with people like suppliers. Having uh, having only been delivering events uh, as such since 2014 uh, under you know for, for time out, um, that's a relatively short period of time. And in the events industry, organisers and suppliers you know have relationships that go back decades sometimes, and they build up that level of trust and loyalty and understanding of what each other can deliver and what they want. Um, how quickly have you been able to establish those sort of relationships with with key suppliers? And, and again, given that there must be such a wide spectrum of, of the type of events that you deliver, do you have to have quite a big spectrum uh, of suppliers as well to do that yeah we do we have quite an extensive pool of people right from kind of suppliers to producers to to freelancers uh, i mean i think one of the one of the nice things of being a fast fast moving fast paced environment is you can always work with you cherry pick the best people to work with mm -hmm. uh, i mean we're certainly in a very privileged position that if we pick up the phone people are really excited to speak to us um, so we can always you know it, it's it's easier maybe for us to get in touch with people because they want to be involved in what we're doing but i think ultimately it's the same for a timeout as it is for an independent event producer it's, it's all about putting the time and the care into into those relationships i mean i'm a i'm a big believer that the events industry is one of the few industries where the more generous you are the better you do uh, and I think that's something that we should really, really nurture as an industry because not, not, not a lot of industries are like that. But if you're more generous, more, more open, more collaborative, you will inevitably do better. Uh, mm -hmm. And I think that's something quite unique that we need to, you know, it's, wor it's worth time and energy to keep that in the industry. Sure, absolutely. Um, noting the EMEA 
uh, aspect or part of your job title. Um, we should point out to people very, very clearly that we're not just talking about events in, in London or in the UK, we're talking about events, you know, international events as well. Um, how, how do you find uh, the planning and the execution of events when you're taking them into other territories as well? Um, obviously, you're working in the UK and working in London, I would guess. Um, so you have a very, very good, close understanding of, of how it works there. Um, how difficult does it then become when you need to, to deliver something in, I don't know, Paris or in Rome? or? Yeah. I mean, it comes down to exactly the same with our editorial, which is about like hyper-local expertise mm-hmm. uh, and people who really, really understand their market. So I, I'm not going to be able to get the same out of a supplier in Paris as somebody who lives in Paris is going sure. to know the best deals, they're going to know the best people to speak to. There's just going to be a level of trust there much more quickly. So we have um, on the ground event teams, uh, so I oversee Paris and Lisbon, we have um, on the ground vet teams there who uh, do just fantastic work and have done exactly that same thing, but putting the time in to build up those excellent supplier relationships. Mm. Uh, so they've got their own local networks as well. And obviously it's global in terms of, um, you know, the, the, the sort of the impetus for all of our events, but there's still that hyper-local expertise, which is what really makes actually on the delivery side of things, everything mm. much simpler. Yeah, sure. Um, when you look, when you sit down to look at, um, I suppose, K- KPIs and and um, and objectives for events, um, de- delivering events under the Time Out brand, you'll presumably have an end goal and something that you want to achieve by hosting and running any given event, whether it's large, small, one day, multiple days. Um, h- how are those decided, and 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 how are the the objectives of an event? Um, then seen to sort of integrate the, the, the wider objectives of time out as a brand? Sure. So one of the things that we find a lot is that brands are coming to us for real 360-degree opportunities to talk to our audience. So I think that's really at the core of everything that we're doing, is it? mm-hmm. how we're connecting to our audience, whether that's us connecting directly or enabling brands to do the same. So quite often we'll find that people will come to us and we'll be putting something that's not just a digital solution, it's not just a print solution, but it's got a live element as well so it's really having that kind of 360 degree view that's at the core of kind of how we're how we're approaching things and how we're enabling brands to connect with our audience because we have such a massive audience that's kind of at the core of how we connect those two things together so so i i mean i guess with i suppose without being too too blunt about it a lot of the online um, presence and, and the print presence is driven by advertising and the opportunities for brands to be able to advertise via your platforms to the audience that you have that reach uh, into. Um, and the, the event side of things sounds and that this is almost a, an additional string to the bow, something that you can offer people and, and, and actually bring to the table when you're speaking to brands. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think people are, audiences are very, very savvy. They know when they're being marketed to, they know when they're being sold. And I think everybody is on the lookout for a much more authentic experience. And it's by aligning events with, so so for instance, if we we have an event, um, so we did a takeover of our Movies on the River series, uh, working with Recorded Egg last week. And that had presence, obviously, within the event. We had workshops, we had hands-on sessions, we had tastings. But then all of that was reflected in, in everything from the print to the social to all of the digital. Mm-hmm. So it's making sure that anything that you do has a really authentic voice. And that's where we're very, we're very lucky because we're very, we're very trusted voice. 
we ha we have uh, people come to us and they they know that we have an authentic voice. We're you know, completely editorial independent. We make sure that everything we talk about is what we love, um, and and I think that that trust that we have with our audience is what is what brands are looking for as well. Yeah, and um, I would, uh, you know, I, I would certainly advocate that because I, I'm somebody who has used and been on timeout before and used it for uh, planning, you know, trips to certain destinations. And I've found some absolutely invaluable information on there that's led to some fantastic experiences. Oh, hello, that's really to hear. Yeah, and, and, and just to sort of, I suppose, reinforce what you were saying there about, um, about integrity, I suppose, might be a good way of saying it, is that there, there are so many options out there if you Google um, you know what to do in any given city you'll be given literally thousands and thousands of options that yet when people see a timeout link to something there is that element of credibility and integrity there that people think ah that will be good because people will have genuinely researched that it won't just be copy and pasted from another site yeah absolutely and I mean that really has to be I think just in events generally that really has to be at the core of what you do there's got to be um, a certain amount of authenticity I, I think people you know, you, you find in a lot of their kind of cookie cutter versions of events, people pick up on it very quickly. It's why mm. we to make sure that we're always doing something a bit different, something a little bit fresh that people haven't seen before. Because I think if you're if you don't, you really risk uh, run the risk of stagnating. And actually, people people value live experiences so much now um, that you've got to make sure that you're keeping it up to really really high standards. You know, our audiences. Um, is coming to us for inspiration, but they're also very discerning. They're gonna they're gonna know if something isn't the best it can be. So it, it keeps us on our toes. Mm. Uh, on, on the on the sort of I suppose the subject of keeping on your toes. Um, in the four years that you've been delivering events for Time Out, how much have you actually learned yourself? You know, uh, uh, how 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 much broader is your knowledge and understanding of all the various different components that go into an event? I mean, fantastically broadened. It's been very interesting, just personally working across so many different teams um, because we work so collaboratively with everybody. Um, I mean, we have to, you know, we work as closely with the commercial team as we do with the editorial team as we do with the product, and, mm -hmm. and we're really, really integrated across the company, which has been fantastic. Also, working globally um, isn't something I've done before, and I think being able to open up the, the sort of just the input and the creativity into what we're doing is fantastic because you can get very very focused in on your city on your little area and what you're doing but actually it's fantastic to see you know somebody in Lisbon taking over an abandoned hospital and doing an amazing party wow. you could do that here you know and, and I think it's really important to have opportunities for kind of all of the creative people in the different spaces to actually go well what do we love what are we excited about and also, even if it's not something we're doing yet, what have I been to that I love? What did I see this week that I've never seen before? Um, so I think that's really one of the benefits of working in, in a global company. I mean, I spoke to somebody from um, from our Sydney office recently about some of the things they're doing. And it's fantastic. You know, it's a completely different kind of city. But mm. there are absolutely things that we could bring to London and, and kind of vice versa. When, um, again, sort of, I suppose, reflecting back on uh, the, 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 the four years uh, that you've done so far with, with Time Out, uh, and you mentioned transforming a hospital in Lisbon or whatever, you know, whatever it may be, are there standout moments for you? I, I, I know every event will be, you know, your, your project for, the, for that period of time, but are there things that you really think, I'm really proud of that, and I'm, I was so excited when that actually came to fruition? 
Yeah, I think for me, the first evening of Movies on the River was really amazing because it was the logistics of making that work. So many people said, you can't do that, that's crazy. <laughs> um, and actually then having it work was absolutely fantastic. But then also on the other end of things, we worked really closely with the Natural History Museum and we, um, we ran an event called After School Club for Grown Ups, which was basically all of the children's activities, but for the evening for adults only with bars. <laughs> as you can imagine and I think just sitting in the middle of the natural history museum having some people sitting with a glass of Prosecco focusing so much on colouring in their little t-shirts they were going to take away was just <laughs> so surreal <laughs> that was really really fantastic and just really love it just loving it it was brilliant I'd like to think that you did everybody uh, an adult packed lunch in a lovely little plastic flip-top packed lunchbox with postman pat on the front of it. Yeah, they had their little school lunches, they had their little paper bags. It was brilliant. <laughs> um, to, um, from a logistics point of view, and, and it's not often we get we can get into sort of I suppose the the nitty gritty of a specific event um, on the podcast, but looking at the, the movies on the river. Um, I'm curious to know it precisely, you know, whereabouts on the river it was and, and whether or not it was a, a ticketed event or a free event and, and how you were able to control the numbers. Because presumably if you've done it in an area of central London, um, it's quite open, it's quite accessible if you've done it near the river, you know, that, that must be quite a challenge. Yeah, so I mean, we, we partner with City Cruises on it. Uh, it's mm -hmm. a fantastic boat, the Alpha, which is a really slick, um, done up both, it's been done really beautifully and we pick people up, so we pick people up from Tower Pier, we then um, cruise, I keep saying, saying sail but it is cruise, it's not that big a boat, <laughs> we cruise up to uh, Westminster, turn around, come back again, we then dock up with Tower Bridge as the backdrop, inflate the screen, show the film and then zip back to Tower Pier, so it's quite a you get around about 40 minutes of a sunset cruise before you even get to see the film, which is which is amazing. I mean, right through central London, it's it's beautiful. Um, but one of the fantastic things is because it is it is a boat, we have a fixed capacity. We can only have a certain number of people a night. Um, it's ticketed. People pre-book, so it just makes it logistically a little bit easier to manage than something that was kind of just free, free and open to people. Sure. Well, that, that, that certainly answered it because it, it, from what you're saying that the audience themselves are then are, are on a boat as well. They're actually on the river in a, in, a, in a controllable environment as opposed to sitting on the banks of the river watching a, a screen that's floating on the river. Yeah, exactly, exactly. So if you're not, we have, we're very strict as well. If you miss the boat, you literally miss the boat. We don't stay for people. You've got to turn up on time. Um, so yeah, it just makes it all a little bit simpler to manage. That's uh, that's interesting. And from a uh, again, uh, maybe I'm get, getting a bit technical, and, and people don't want to hear this. But um, how do you how do you make sure that people who are on a boat, you know, floating on a river opposite um, a floating screen, can can hear the actual uh, audio from the movie? So we have uh, headphones. So we actually use our same headphones that we use for our silent discos. Um, right. So they're multi-channel headphones and basically we have two screens, we have the screen upstairs but then we also have a backup screen downstairs for when we remember that it's England and it rains. Um, so <laughs> we have different channels so you can watch it on blue upstairs, green downstairs and it just means that you're always kind of, you're always going to have good quality sound. Uh, it just kind of immerses you in it a little bit more. I think campus sound quality is really good. Um, yeah. 
you know, you're, the whole city is going by you. So it's quite nice to actually then be able to focus down on something. Sure. And um, and is it uh, is it audience input when it comes to selecting the movie or who has the final say on that? Yeah, so we work very closely with our film team. Um, I mean, it's dictated a little bit by what sells out really quickly as well. Um, bit of inside knowledge, the greatest showman, people love it. Um, <laughs> it's not yeah, I don't think there's any secret there. <laughs> yeah, it's my tip for the summer, my inside tip. Um, but yeah, we, we go for, it's classics really. I mean, I think you find with something uh, like a film screening like this, that people want to see something probably that they've seen before, that they know they love. Mm -hmm. uh, you tend to be go. you're going as much of the experience as the film really, you know, you want to have great drinks, you want to chat to your friends, you want to be on the river in London. Um, so it's not so much for the films that people don't know, it tends to be kind of cold classics. Um, I, I know uh, you know, the vast majority of his stuff will be will be pre-planned. It will be planned well in advance. But given that we're we're going through a bit of a phase of good weather at the moment, um, as an events team, are you able to to react at all and think actually, given that we've got some great weather forecasts for the next week or the next ten days, are you able to think actually we could embellish something that we're already doing and make it a little bit bigger, or could we quickly roll out something in a couple of days' time? Sure. So we're, we're more just thankful that it's so, so sunny <laughs> our summer season. Um, I mean, we have we have turned things around in pretty quick time in the past. I think our record is probably a week. Um, but ideally, because we're because we're sort of a, a, a tight knit team um, with some big projects on the horizon, you know, we tend to we tend to plan more long term than that. Uh, sure. and sometimes they'll sometimes the elements where you can shift slightly within a venue um, so you might be able to move outside and, and something like that but, but generally um, we're pretty far advanced in our planning Sure. Um, I, I know that people will be able to find Time Out in general very, very easily just by going onto their phone or their, their, their tablet or their computer. But um, when it comes to your specific events and the events that you yourselves are organising and delivering, um, how do people find out about those? So your best bet is to go onto our Facebook page. Um, so the Time Out London Facebook page, uh, events tab on the left, and then you've got a listing of everything that we've got coming up. Uh, but you can also find them on the Time Out website, so it's timeout.com forward slash London, and then it's drop down to events on the side. Fantastic. Um, we've, we've been talking today to um, Abby Dakin. Abby is the uh, events director for uh, EMEA for, for Time Out. Um, and just looking really at, at how the, the event side of things has become such a, an integral part of, of the Time Out business by the sounds of things. Um, been launched uh, around about four years ago. Uh, and uh, yeah, very, very much so um, uh, delivering events right across, across Europe and, and the Middle East now. Yeah, we're pretty, we're pretty global in what we're doing. It's exciting. Well, it's been great to have you on the show, Abby. Thank, thanks for that insight. We, we, um, we come towards the end of, of today's episode. I suppose if, if, if anybody's got any questions or um, would like to get in touch, as Abby pointed out, go to the Time Out London Facebook page. All the events are listed on there, but I'm sure there'll be ways and means by which you can, uh, you can contact um, the team there if anybody wants to, to speak to Abby directly. I'm sure we've got uh, podcast listeners and followers out there who've been watching today's episode with keen interest and maybe with either empathy for what you do, Abby, or, or with ideas of their own or venues that might want to get in touch. So I'm sure be open to some conversation. Excellent. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I'm always keen to have more conversations with anybody. So 
Fantastic. And if anybody wants any conversations with us, um, at Event News Blog is the Twitter handle for Event Industry News. And you can find Event Industry News just by searching all the, uh, all the various social media uh, platforms as well. We've got the Facebook pages, um, Instagram, find us on LinkedIn as well. And that brings us nicely to the end of today's episode. Thanks again to Abby Dakin from Time Out for joining us today and talking about that. The podcast is brought to you by our sponsor, Engage, powered by D2I Systems, winner of Best Event Management Platform at the 2017 Event Technology Awards. To learn how Engage can make your business more profitable, visit d2isystems.com forward slash engage. Thanks again for, uh, for tuning in. My name's James Dixon, and we'll see you on the next episode of the Event Industry News Podcast. Goodbye. Mm-hmm.